Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. But again, thank you for being here and for sharing that resource today. So here's what we're doing today. We're going to jump into, we are, are kicking off a brand new series called Famous Last Words. And I hope that this series will be uh, deep and spiritually meaningful for you as we look at the last words that Jesus ever spoke when he was on the cross. And uh, these are really important that, that we look at, at the phrases that he said, uh, especially, and we're going to do this whole series as we lead into Easter. I think it's timely for us. Speaking of Easter, you need to know that we are going to have three services on Easter, 8, 30, 10, and 11.30, each of our services is just going to be an hour long. You say, Aaron, you told us last week. I'm going to tell you every week until we get there for two reasons. One, I need you to invite people. 90% of people are, looking, are going to say yes if you invite them to church. People are looking for a place to go. Second thing is, is we need help. There's plenty of you that serve already on your teams, and some of you, we need you to go, all right, I'm going to serve once on that Sunday, I'm going to serve twice on that Sunday, and some of y'all are crazy and going to go, Give it to me three times. I want it. So if you are already on a team, I need you to talk to your team leader and let them know what your availability is that day. We've already kind of begun to gather those, those resources, but if you haven't done that yet, please do that. And if you don't serve on a team anywhere, we would love to get you connected, even just for that Sunday, uh, to help us in some of our key areas. Uh, so if that's you and you're interested in doing that, grab that connection card and just put your information on there and write in the comments section, serve, and we will reach out to you, get you connected to a team for Easter Sunday. We would love to have that, all right? Listen, the reason we're doing this, the reason we have three services and the reason that we have the big push to ask you to be involved is because this is the greatest time of year to make the biggest impact. I'm going to say that again. It's the greatest time of year to make the biggest impact. People are looking for a church. They're going to church on Easter Sunday, and there are so many people that we get to put our arms around and pull them out of the fires of hell and into a, a loving relationship with God. Amen? And since this is our, pre, or our prime time to do that, we're going to hit it with everything we got, and we need you to do that, all right? Awesome. Well, let's jump into what we're doing today. I'm going to give you some context on this very first message that we're going to do, looking at Jesus' last words. The uh, first verse comes from Matthew, and it says, Above Jesus' head, he's already hanging on the cross, by the way. Above Jesus' head, they had placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. In other words, there's a sign hanging above Jesus' head uh, for the reason that he's condemned and hanging on the cross and who he is. And there's two robbers who were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. So basically we've got just the regular people walking around and they're passing Jesus and they're insulting him and they're even repeating something back to him that he had said a few weeks or months prior to when he said, listen, and he was standing at the temple, and he says, I'll tear down this temple and rebuild it. And they thought he meant the physical temple, and he was talking about his, this temple. He said, I'll, I'll die on the cross, and I'll raise again in three days. That's what he was talking about, but they, they thought he meant the building, so they're like, ha, and they're mocking him. 
And so then it goes on and says, in the same way, so just like the people were mocking him, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him as well. And, and uh, they said, he saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. That's the, the line right there that's just the stinger. It's as if, to, as if to say, he trusts in God, and look at him. He's hanging on a cross. He trusts in God. So let God rescue him now if he wants, uh, if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. He trusts in God. Where's your God now? That's an interesting question. Because when you saw Jesus that day, even though you have a relationship with God, you might have asked the same thing. Because to see Jesus visibly that day, you would have been disturbed to your very core. See, we, we see pictures of Jesus, and he, he looks all holy. Sometimes his eyes are rolled back, and he's hanging like this. But, but we recognize Jesus. You would not have recognized Jesus on that day. Because on that day, Jesus was beaten with something called a cat of nine tails. It's a leather whip that has nine, nine straps on it. And on each one of these straps, there are, lead, are pieces of lead and glass and metal, and they would hit him. If you've ever been hit with a belt before, you understand how that stings. This is times nine plus glass and metal, all right? This is like, you know, it's, 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 it's not going to be fun. And when it hits, all that stuff digs into your back. And the Roman soldiers didn't walk up to Jesus and say, I'm sorry, let me get that and just pluck that out here, pluck that out there. When they hit and it's dug into his back, they ripped intentionally to cause his back to basically be turned into hamburger, ground chuck. Most of the time when they would do this because they would beat them, they would lash them 40 times, their back looked look that way and it would expose their internal organs. So Jesus is beaten. And then they, they blindfold him, they punch him, spit on him. So his face is black and blue and swollen and deformed. And then the soldiers took a crown and they pressed it on his head. And your head is really vascular. It means it bleeds really easy. And so the, the thorns are now pressed down in his head and he's bleeding all over the place. The blood is matting his hair, matting his beard, and has now stained his face completely. Then they mocked him. They criticized him. They spit on him. They kicked him. And then if he was crucified like everybody else was crucified during this time period, he was naked as well. Total humiliation. And then they pierced his hands and his feet and hung him on the cross. And that would have been enough, except the Romans are so cruel that when they put you on the cross, they put you in such a place that the torture of the cross was not the pain you endured before. It was the constant position of suffocation that unless you pushed up on those nails with your own feet, you couldn't breathe. Jesus was dying of, of asphyxiation, suffocation. And it's in this moment that you would not have recognized him, that he would have looked more like an animal than he would have looked like a human. And they're calling out to Jesus, you trust in God? Where's your God now? trust. This word trust is translated from the Greek word pytho, which means to convince, 
to rely on with inward certainty, to have full confidence or complete trust. This is what trust is. Are you still trusting God? Because it's easy to trust God when things are going well, right? It's really hard when, when you're in the middle of a dark spot in your life. It's really hard to trust him then. It's hard to have that inward and complete and total trust with God when things aren't going well. And that's going to be one of the toughest questions that we're going to have to ever ask. Do we trust God? It's the age-old question that the enemy's been asking us since the beginning of time. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, it's a question of trust. Did God really say that? Did he really mean that? Do you really trust what he's saying here? It's about trust. And over and over again, the enemy tries to get us to doubt God. Do we really trust him? It's easy to trust God in the light. It's hard to trust him in the dark. Years ago, I, uh, I went on an, a mission trip to El Salvador. And it, the more you get to know me, the more you learn that I'm a bit of a uh, jokester and prankster. In fact, the more I love you, the more I prank you. Um, sometimes my kids are like, Dad, you could love us a little less. That'd be great. Uh, but but I, love to, I love to pull pranks on people. One of the things I love to do is scare people, um, especially this building. There's so many nooks and crannies in this building. It's just great. Uh, but but I, I, love to, I love to scare people. And um, we were in El Salvador, and we were staying in this camp. And the camp was completely walled in. High walls, big gates, armed guards. That was a little unnerving. But armed guards at the gates and even armed guards on the grounds walking around with shotguns. Legit. But they were there for me, so it was good to protect me. So the whole camp is surrounded by this high wall. And uh, where we were staying at, the girls' dorms were at the lower end of the hill. It's this steep mountain. The girls' camp was down here, and the, the boys was up at the top of that mountain. And the, and the mess hall was down here. And so, man, we had, to, we had to walk. The guys had to walk every night up that steep hill. And the thing was, it wasn't just that the hill was horrible. It's that the lighting was really bad. It got dark there around 5 o'clock every night. And it was like pitch black. Down by the mess hall and by the do girls' dorms, totally lit up, awesome. But that stretch in between the mess hall and the guys' hall was pitch black. It was dark. I mean, you were taking your life in your own hands to walk up. I mean, you could see light ahead of you. It was fine, but, but you just couldn't see much else. And so one night I was there. I was, we were going up the hill, and I was walking up with my buddy Ryan. I said, dude, our creative director, Derek, he's, he's right behind us. I said, he hasn't seen us. I said, let's go get in the bushes. So we went and hid in the bushes. I said, here's what I'm going to do. When he comes walking by, I'm going to smack the bushes like I'm an animal jumping out of the bushes, and then I'm going to go like that. So, so that was the plan. And Derek comes walking by, and that's exactly, bam, bang, hit them bushes. And I ran at him as fast as I can, which is hard for a big guy. But, but I ran. You ever seen a fainting goat before? When you scare a goat, they, they whoof, and they just kind of fall over. That was Derek. He, he, ah, oh, like he did all that. It was hilarious. And I was like, this is a good time. Derek said he was writing farewell letters to his wife. Dear Kyle, I love you, and I'm sorry I died in El Salvador. He, was, he thought he was done. We got to the top of the hill, and uh, I looked down the hill, and I can see our other, one of the other guys that was with us, his name was Adam, and he was coming up the hill. And I couldn't get back down to the bushes, but there was this huge boulder there. And I was like, I'm going to go out and get Guys, I'll be right back. Just, just, just stay up here and watch. Hide, but just watch. I'm going to get him. And so the, I'm by this big boulder. And I'm watching for Adam to come. I'm so excited. It's pitch black. I'm going to get him good. 
And then it happens. Out of the corner of my eye, I see it. This animal runs up on me. Scared me to death. And it didn't just run up on me, it actually ran past me and was looking that way. It was suddenly that I realized I'm in El Salvador. We're not at home. And I have no idea what that animal is. And I froze. Here's what I did. I caught a bubble. I didn't want to breathe. I didn't want to move. But all of a sudden, that animal that was looking straight turned its head back around and looked at me. And I believe my response was, oh, 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 oh. Like, this is how I'm going to protect myself if something ever comes at me. This is apparently my strategy. That's exactly what I did. In the dark, you don't know what you're going to do, you know? I was apparently not prepared for this moment. But it looked at me, and the thing started running straight at me. In that moment, I did not swear. But I did think a swear word. I'm pretty certain of that. And I thought, oh, God, I'm about to meet you, sweet Jesus. And that, that animal took a sharp left turn right when it got to me. And down come a guard off the hill carrying one of them shotguns. It whistled and called him that direction. And I was so thankful for the guy with the shotgun in that moment. It was terrifying. Terrifying the things that happen in the dark. It's in those moments where you're like, man, I'm not even sure in this moment if I trust God. Is there even a God? Like what's getting ready to happen? And when you're in the dark, it's hard to understand. It's hard to understand God. The Bible has this to say about the dark, specifically in Jesus' situation. From the sixth hour until the ninth hour, this is as he's hanging on the cross, it says darkness came over all the land. It's almost as if God in this moment was saying, I'm not going to allow my son to shine on this. Like this is a dark moment. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this is Jesus screaming out, this question. And it's interesting because Jesus endured man's worst and didn't say a thing. When he was beaten, he said nothing. When he was nailed, he said nothing. And in this moment, he screams out, God, why have you forsaken me? There's something else interesting about this verse is that Jesus, whenever he talked about God, all throughout his story, he refers to God as Father. Even more so, he refers to God as Abba, which is not really the Hebrew or Greek word for father at all. It's a slang word. It's actually the pronunciation of a child saying the word for father. They would mispronounce it and say Abba in the same way that a kid doesn't say dad or daddy, they say dada. This is what Abba means, and this is how Jesus would refer to his heavenly father. It's this kind of intimate relationship between a son and a father, and they called him Abba. But in this verse, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is perhaps the saddest verse in all the Bible, and possibly the most confusing too. Because when you approach this theologically, you're like, wait, wasn't Jesus all God and all man? Like, isn't that who he was? And you're saying God was forsaking God, like God turned his back on himself. Like, how does that even happen? What does that even mean? Those are great questions, and I don't know. 
But I know that in Jesus' darkest hour, in this darkest moment, that he asked the very same question that we all tend to ask. He embraced it and said, why? He said, why? And we do the same thing. We ask why when we can't conceive a child. We ask why when our marriage is falling apart. We ask why when our spouse has been unfaithful. We ask why when our finances are failing. We ask why when our loved one dies. We ask why when our parents divorce. We ask why when we didn't get the promotion. We ask why when we deal with chronic pain. We ask why when our children rebel and when God doesn't answer. We ask why when a parent rejects you. We ask why when our children are sick. We ask why when it doesn't make sense. We ask why when people talk about you and lie about you. We ask why when everyone else's prayers get answered and not yours. We ask why. In the middle of our darkest times, we ask why. And we do that from those hurts and those pains. We're all going to be there at some point in time. Even if you're not currently in some kind of crisis where you feel the need to ask why, you will be. Welcome to Simple Church, where we preach uplifting and encouraging messages. <laughs> I'm just being honest with you. At some point in time, you're going to face something difficult. And from that pain, you will want to ask why. The reality is, or our reality is, is that we need to grapple with the fact that we won't always understand. Because we only see part of the story. We only get to see part of it. We don't get to see everything that God sees. We don't have his view. There's a great song by a, a country music artist named Garth Brooks. It's probably, well, almost 30 years old at this point. The song's called Unanswered Prayers. And he tells a story in there about how he prays faithfully for a young lady. He's like, man, that's the one I want. And God, if you'll just make her mine, I'll never ask you for anything again. Well, he doesn't, God doesn't answer that prayer. And he doesn't, he doesn't wind up in a relationship with the young lady. But he does wind up in a relationship with his, with his, with his wife-to-be. And they get married and they have kids. And years later, he runs into that same young lady. And he says, if we started talking about things, come to realize we didn't have much in common. This relationship, the thing that I wanted so much was not the thing I really needed. And then it goes on to say, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers, that he knows what he's doing, that we just have to trust him. And I love that because it speaks to our real, did he just preach from a Garth Brooks song? Yes, I did. <laughs> I did. Because it reflects our posture and our position with God. We only get to see part of the story. And when we only see part of the story, we need to trust him. In fact, scripture backs this up and it talks about our nature. It says, now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we see, we shall see face to face. Now in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. To me, this speaks of a time when we're restored in heaven, that we'll see God's plan unfold. Someday we're going to fully understand, but it may not be today. That may mean waiting until eternity. 
And I believe that at some point in time, all of our questions are going to be answered as God pulls back the veil on the tapestry he has been weaving of your life and all of our lives, our joys and our pains, the good and the bad. And we'll see in full the beautiful thing that God has been putting together this whole time. I believe that. Someday we'll understand the darkness in our lives. But we need to understand God's nature. We need to understand who he is. We need to understand we're not like him. He's God and we're not. In fact, Isaiah says this about God. He's declaring this about himself. My thoughts are not your thoughts. He doesn't think like us. His ways are not our ways. He doesn't do the things the way we do them. He goes on to say, as the heavens are higher than the earth, here's the comparison, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. In other words, anything we do or the way we do it or the things that we think about or the way we think about things, there's a vast chasm between the way we do it and the way God does it. It's just, there's just a gap that exists. It is our reality. So we need to settle on the fact that we only get to see part of the story. Someday we'll understand so, so what do we do while we're hanging out in this space where we get to see part? How do we respond to this? What, what, what do we do in the meantime? Well, the Bible tells us what to do, how to go from being in a place of questioning to a place of peace in the darkness, how to trust God when nothing makes sense. It, and, and it's basically, and it's simply this, it's just to hold on to God. Because God is never changing. It doesn't matter what your circumstances are. It doesn't matter the pain that is in your life. He is unchangeable no matter what. He's unchangeable, and you can hold on to him. In the darkness in your life, we just simply need to remember who he is. Remember who God is. And the first thing we need to remember when we're facing pain and questioning is that God is good. God's good. That, that, that's it. God is good. In Mark 10, it says, no one is good except God alone. He's good. Why is that important to know? Well, because I think we have a tendency to take who we are and our current circumstances and reflect them on God. So like if we're in a situation that we don't understand and we're confused about it, we also feel like God is confused himself. Or if we're in a situation that we feel is bad and why is this happening, we reflect that on God. Now he's bad and he's no longer good. But God's, who he is, is not based on our conditional circumstances. He's just, he's just not. God transcends circumstances, and that's what we have to hold on to. No matter what. No, no, no matter whether cancer is ravaging our body, no matter we, whether we have faced the tragedy of abuse, or the grief of losing a lost one, or war, or we've been a victim of racism or something else. God is still good, regardless of those things, and he will never change. The second thing we gotta remember is God's for me. That's good news, man. That's good gospel news. God is for you, he isn't against you, he isn't mad at you, he, you are never on the outs with God. That's what's awesome. See, some of you think you've walked so far away from God that you're on the outs with him, that you got to do something to make up all that time you've walked away from him. You're never on the outs with God. His love is unconditional. Now I'm gonna get really deep here. Unconditional means without condition. I oh, know. There is no chance that you're ever on the outs with God. 
His love is for you. God is for you. He believes in you even when you don't believe in yourself. He has hope for you even when you don't hope in him. God is for you. And the Bible says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Like that's just mind-blowing, isn't it? Crazy. The creator of the universe, the God of, of eternity, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and ending, the God all-powerful, he's for you. And if that's true, I'm going to ask you, who or what can be against you? If God is for you, the all-powerful advocate, what can be against you? See, God is for us and has a dream and a purpose that is beyond the pain and confusion of today. That's so good, I'm going to say it again. God is for us, and he has a dream and a purpose that is beyond the pain and confusion of today. That's who God is. He is for you. So we remember that he's good, and he's for us. And finally, we remember God is with us. The Bible says about the nature of God, he says, I will never leave you, and I'll never forsake you. That's good news. God is with us. You say, why is that good news, Aaron? Because there's something about presence that changes everything. There's something about someone being with you through whatever it is you're facing, whatever darkness it is you're facing that changes everything. Let me explain. When I was a kid, I had chores to do. I did the vacuuming, I did the dishes, and I love those two things. I will do those all day long. The one chore that was assigned to me that I did not like was taking out the trash. We lived in an area where the trash was outside and it was far away from the house. Well, I thought it was far. To a little kid, it was far. But it was beyond our carport and the trash cans were kept on the dark side of the garage. My brother's sitting right here shaking his head. Yep, yep, yep. And here's the deal. The light was on, but there was always a van or a car there that cast a major shadow over the area where the trash cans were. And to go there, you had to leave the light and enter the dark and go to the side of the house. And when you lifted the lid, you had no idea whether you were going to be met by the two beady eyes of some strange animal. I was terrified to take out the trash. In fact, I got in trouble a lot of times because this was me. I would come outside, I would have the trash cans in view, and I would toss it and leave it, and a raccoon would be quick to retrieve it. <laughs> Did he just quote Sir Mix a lot? <laughs> but that's what I would do. I was terrified, man. And I had to take out the trash to take them down to the street, too. That was a scary experience. This is me. Open the door. Hey. I'm coming out. My brother's with me. He wasn't with me. I'm not scared. I'll go out and grab the trash cans. I'd run as fast as I could down to the street. I didn't even care if they stood up or not. They'd fall over. I, must have been somebody in the middle of the night, Dad. I don't know what happened. That's why I constantly ask him. He's sitting right here. You can ask him. I would go to Jeremy. Hey, Jeremy, just come out with me. Dude, I'm not, just, just come stand there with me. Come, come be with me. I'm not helping. You don't have to help. Just come stand with me. Why? Something about presence. 
It didn't mean that whatever I was scared of wasn't going to be out there. I was still going to face it. Ah, but I had someone with me. And a lot of times when we go through the darkness in our lives, we feel alone. That's the work of the enemy. He wants you to feel isolated. He wants you to feel alone. Whatever questions you have and whatever it is you're facing, that's exactly where he wants you. But God is with us. You are never alone. He promises that. God is good. God is for you. And God is with you. These are the things we need to call to mind and remember. We need to remember. So here's my question for you today. Do you trust God? I mean, it's easy to trust him in the light. But when you're facing the darkness in your life, do you trust God? The Bible tells us no matter what we're facing, in Proverbs 3, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he's going to make your path straight. Look, you're not going to understand everything. That's just not what's going to happen for you. It's not our reality. We aren't God. But you can lean on him in all your ways. You can trust him. Don't lean on what you know. Don't lean on what you feel. Because honestly, you can't trust your feelings. You know why? Because your feelings are going to lie to you. In the middle of that darkness, in the middle of your pain, your feelings are going to lie to you about who you are and about who God is. No, you can't trust your feelings. You make a choice to trust God, and your feelings are going to follow that. Choices lead, feelings follow. I know I've said that a lot, but I really need you to get it, because in this emotionally charged atmosphere, I feel like everybody responds with their emotions anymore to things, and they don't stand up on the word of God and say, no, this is what God said about me. This is God, who God said I am. I don't need to respond to this. I don't need to be emotional about this. I don't need to listen to my feelings. This is who God is. This is who I am. Man, I just feel like our lives would be better if we did. Oh, that's not even in my notes. That was just for free for you. We can make a choice, though, a choice to trust God. Because when we choose to trust him, our feelings will shift and follow our choices, all right? So what's our reality? Instead of how we're feeling about it, that God is good, God's for us, and God is with us. That is our situation no matter what our pain. So trust him with all your heart. And then the verse says to do this, it says to acknowledge him. This word acknowledge in the Hebrew is the word yada. Yada means to know, and it means to know in an intimate way, not in like a, a, a sexual way. I mean like an intimate, like a personal friend. God wants you to know him personally and intimately. Why? Because he knows if you know him and you know him in all your ways, that you'll trust him, that you'll trust him. Even when you don't understand, when you know God, you can trust him. This is the number one thing that we talk about in Growth Track. We tell you the first thing for you that God has for you, and did you find all throughout the Bible, is he wants you to know him. This isn't just something we made up. We didn't go, oh, that sounds really good. Let's do that. This is all through the Bible. God's saying, I want you to know me. I want you to know, I'm going to be your God. You're going to be my people. There's a sense of ownership in the relationship. I want you to know me. He wants you to know him so he can, you can trust him. You don't have to understand. You just have to trust. And you do that through knowing him. You know, I've had, I've had through the years, I've had many false things said about me. 
And the people that are closest to me, when, they, when that rumor gets around to them and somebody speaks falsely against me, they say, no, I don't think so. That's not Aaron. I know that guy. That, that's not Aaron. You, you, need to, you need to follow up and see if that was his intent. I'm sure he didn't mean that. Because they know me. And when you face a situation and you start feeling like God's abandoned you, like God has forsaken you, you just need to come back to this and go, no, I know in whom I believe. And he's for me. He's good. And he's with me. You can do that only when you know God. So we need to know God. And the better you know God, no matter what your situation, you'll find that, that you are, uh, that, that, you, that the less you ask why. The better you know him, the less you ask why. In fact, the better you know him, the more you ask what? The better you know, you know him, the less you ask him, why didn't you? Why is this? Why didn't you answer that prayer? Why am I going through this? Why didn't you heal my kid? The more you know him, the less you, start, you ask why, and the more you start asking what? God, what is your plan? What is your purpose in this? Because we trust him. We trust he has one. We trust him to be faithful, that he's for us, that he's with us, that he's good. We trust him. So we start asking God, what? What do you want me to see? What is your plan? Man, I had a job that I hated for four years. Anybody have a job they hate? If your boss is here, you don't have to lift your hand. It's all right. <laughs> I had a job I hated for four years. And I'm telling you, I used to drive, drive to work and go, God, why do you have me here? Why am I here? I don't understand. And I finally got to a place where I realized that was the wrong question. And I asked God, I said, what do you have for me to learn here? Could you please just teach it to me quick so I can get out of here? Like, I just don't want to be here. I mean, I'm just being real with you, okay? What, what do you have for me to learn here? You don't have to be fearful. You can trust that God has a plan, that he's up to something. Because in the darkness, when we can't see completely, and we may never until eternity, so we trust. We trust that God is good, that he's for us, that he's with us. That's why we can ask what instead of why. And as I close today, you may ask yourself the question, you may be asking me, Aaron, why did God forsake Jesus on the cross that day? Why, why did that happen? When he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The answer is found simply here in 2 Corinthians. It says that God made him who had no sin, that was Jesus, because he was without sin. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. While Jesus was hanging on that cross, he literally became sin. He became rape. He became lust. He became anger and hatred in every form of sin. He became it. And in that moment, God looked away as Jesus took all of our sins upon himself. And he did all of that so that we could be forgiven. He did all of that so that we could be, become the righteousness of God. So no matter what you're going through, remember God is good. God is for you. And God will never ever leave you. 
Listen to me today. Listen to me. Your story is not over. Not yet. Someday you'll understand. Until then, you can trust him and know him. Let's pray. Father, today I know that there are so many difficult things in this room that people are facing. Lord, all kinds of darkness. Relational darkness, emotional darkness. Darkness in their marriage, in their family, in their finances, on the job. Lord, we we face so much physically. I just pray. I lift up each situation that's represented here in this room. And first, God, I ask that you would answer every need in power and authority. Lord, that you would heal everybody, heal every relationship. That you, God, would move on our behalf. And until then, God, while we wait, may we be faithful to call to mind that you're good. That our feelings that are telling us otherwise, Lord, may we reject them call to mind that you're good, you're for us, and that you'll never leave us. And as we call that to mind, God, as we stand firm on who we know you to be, I pray that our trust grows, our faith grows, and that our peace, your peace, would overwhelm us in the darkness. That our questions go from being why to being, God, what do you have? What is it? What is your plan? Today, as I continue to pray, there's, there's th- people in this room, you need to understand that trusting in God stems from a relationship with Him. And many of you don't have that. Or maybe at one point in time you did, but you walked away from that relationship. You allowed it to grow cold. God's not mad at you. In fact, God's here right now. He loves you. And in this moment, the thing He wants most for you is to receive the gift that He's giving you through the work that Jesus did on the cross. That's forgiveness. That's restoration of relationship. That's making right what we've set wrong. Right now, if you wanna have that peace, know that it stems from the relationship. And today, you can begin that relationship. I'm gonna give you an opportunity. We're gonna pray a prayer in a moment. That's how you begin. You talk to God with prayer. I'll give you the words to pray. And if you're here today and you're going to pray that prayer, I just need to know, would you just let me know you're here by slipping up your hand? Would you just do that now? Don't worry. I'm not going to lift, take, bring you to the front or anything. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. That's good. That's awesome. Thank you. I'm not going to make you stand up or come to the front. We're just going to pray right where you're at. In fact, we're all going to pray with you together. Is there anybody else? Anybody else? That's awesome. Proud of you. Church, let's pray together. Everybody pray out loud. Those of you that are praying this prayer, just mean it from your heart. Say, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. Thank you for what you did on the cross. Forgive me of my sins and make me brand new. I give you my life and you give me yours. Show me how to live for you. And I'll spend every day doing that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.